Good evening, guys. Thank you all for coming. Uh, my name is Oed Fadida, and I'll be speaking instead of Rabbi Sprung. No, I'm just kidding. That would really be terrible. But tonight is remarkable and very special, especially for me. Four years ago, along with a few friends and my brother, we started this program. And we started it to address a desire that we wanted, a personal desire, to essentially hear... We wanted a relaxed space to drink beer and to, to, be, to, to engage in stimulating Torah conversation. So that's what happened. The first week, we begged someone from the community to host, and we begged someone to speak, and we begged someone to come, and more importantly, we begged an older guy to buy us beer. <laughs> and that's how we started and continued for four years. And every Thursday night, late into the night after yeshiva ends, we gather at a home or an office from someone in the community, and guys have the opportunity to relax and hear a shir and engage in stimulating Torah conversation. After a lot of positive feedback and recognizing we have something special, we decided to, sh- we decided to start sharing. And this year, platforms became a podcast. And for some reason, people are listening. The next step was tonight, which filled with bumps, um, was our first public share, and people came. So for me and the platform team, this is a very special night. I was thinking a little about the nature of the program and why this is still a thing and not just a bad idea that we had in 12th grade. And I think that the answer is twofold, intertwined, and a message for all of us. Firstly, our program is local and organic, like a vegetable. But what that means is that we generally tend to look very far out of ourselves and totally neglect our immediate surroundings. Our program could have been, could have seeked out big speakers outside of ourselves and large groups outside of ourselves, but we didn't. It was always our guys sharing ideas by our guys. So the first immediate message is taking the advantage and appreciating the remarkable resources that is right under your nose. Secondly, when looking back at our speakers and the ideas shared, a trend essentially emerges. And that is that the content is real. And what I mean when I say that is that the Torah presented is relevant and speaking directly to the reality that we are in, by definition. Unfortunately today, there is this feeling that when we engage in Torah, we have to hang our reality by the door. And when it comes to our program, our guys don't feel that way. I see guys who come every week, and I think to myself, why are they coming? You know, Bud Light is not that amazing. And it really shows that we underestimate our Torah and we underestimate ourselves. When Torah is real, teenagers, after a full day of yeshiva, will come and seek out more. And I really think this is true, and our program is a testament to these values. Be open and honest. Engage with your surroundings. There is so much beauty around. Take advantage. There is no need to manipulate. With this said, I would like to thank our hosts tonight, the Choshen Mishpakola and Rabbi Shon, and all our amazing hosts throughout the years who opened and continue to open themselves up to allow us to grow. Next, I would like to thank tonight's phenomenal, exciting, good-looking speaker, Rabbi Sprung. He gave us all the descriptions. And he has been with us from the start. And we sort of have a lean on him before every Chag. So thank you for being awesome. I would like to thank all our amazing speakers, and especially their wives, who let them take time out with their busy schedules and sit late with us and engage in real Torah.
platforms is run for the guys and by the guys. And what that means is that we rely on funds donated to us by individuals who see us as something important and desire its continuity. Without those special people, we would not be able to fully do what we do. So thank you to all our amazing sponsors. Finally, I'd like to call up Platform's team, um, my good friend Jackie Zweig and my brother Asaf Adida. Give them a round of applause. Without them, without them, this entire program would not be possible. They put in a lot of work and balance out very intense schedules trying to make this possible. Now before I shut up, at the front you have sign-up sheets and the QR code, which is basically magic. And if you are interested in staying in the loop and staying in touch, write your name and your email, maybe even your cell phone, and we will share information about other events we will God willing be making and links to our Spotify, iTunes, and Facebook account where there's a treasure trove of Torah there. For those more tech savvy, you can scan the QR code and automatically linked. So if anyone is interested in donating, you can email us or reach out directly to either myself or Jackie. And again, thank you for being a part of this. And without further ado, Rabbi Spam. Dilly dilly. <laughs> I think it's really, really impressive what you guys have been able to do. I do. Um, I was involved slightly with organizational life, and I still am. Um, and it's not easy to put anything together. The idea that you guys went out and did it only because you wanted to, so nothing stood in your way, and you just did it. And way to go. Good for you. Tonight's learning is in honor of the birthday of my very own brother, Jared Mendel, who is not here because he's in a better place celebrating his birthday. But when he watches this, at some later date, he will see that. Happy birthday, Jared. This is for you. <laughs> what I wanted to do today was give maybe a little bit of a different spin than what we're used to on the Megillah. Perhaps see it from a different angle, how it relates to us. You understand it has to relate to you. Like there's this idea that we have holidays and holidays are ceremonies because something happened at one point to other people. And since something happened at a point to a different person, I have to celebrate it by eating a certain food, doing a certain type of mitzvah or ceremony, and then that connects me with my ancestors and that's significant. This is not how Judaism does holidays. Jewish holidays are experiential, and it's something that you have to integrate into your experience. You have to be able to bring it in to yourself and make it part of you. That's the idea of the holiday. And Purim is unique. Purim is very, very interesting, you see. It's the last book we have. The Megillah is the last book we have. How come there are no other books? You have Tanakh, it runs all the way through. You've got the five books, and then you've got Yeshua, Shoftim, Shmuel, Malachim. You can go all the way through, through Jivri Hayamim, and the very, very last book is Esther. Why? Why did it end? Well, here's what you can take to the bank. Here's what you can take to the bank. If there are no subsequent books, then that's one indication. You don't need any. Right? That's what that tells you. If you don't get any other books, it's because you don't require any other books. But what was so special about Esther that we were finished now that we don't need any other books? And it's even more fascinating because if you look at the Gemara, the Gemara says that all of the Yom and Tobin and all of the books are going to be bottle. All of the various books in the Nach, not the five, but the others, the Nach of the Tanakh, they're going to be null and void at the end of time. But not Esther. Esther will no longer be void. So there's got to be some kind of special idea that revolves around Esther that doesn't apply to all of the other things. The question is what that would be. So in typical Talmudic fashion, the Gemara is really funny. The Gemara asks questions that you and I would never ask. 
Like, never. This is just not something that you would do. But the Gemara is strange. It says, why, why did the Jews deserve to die? We say, what makes you think they deserve to die? Well, because if someone's coming at you, that means that you, gotta, you, know, you, you deserve to die. You did something very, very wrong. If you hadn't done anything wrong, Haman would never have made it past second base. If he's rounding third, you're in trouble. So the Gemara's like, what did he do? So it says, Shalom, tell me of Esther, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. They ask Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, Rashbi, they're like, why, why were the Jews at that time liable to die? And he says, well, why don't you tell me? <laughs> what do you think, right? Classic, he asked the rabbi a question, he goes, well, what do you think? And they say, because because they got benefit and pleasure from the suud of Achashverosh, that evil, evil person. If I move too quickly, you'll let me know, I'll stand still, maybe. The mic, it's no good? It is good? It's half good? I dropped it? I apologize. I'm not good at this. You tell me again if it falls, yeah? Shkoyach. Wow, you went through fire and water to come here. Kalakavod. Mm. Yes. They went to the suit of Achashverosh. They went to the suit of Achashverosh, and therefore that's why they should die. Because after all, there probably wasn't any kosher food at the suit of Achashverosh. And if you eat non-kosher food, then you should all be wiped out, right? Well, wrong on both counts, because there was kosher food. Mahadrin mina mahadrin mahadrin machbud, beit yosef, badatz. And secondly, if you eat non-kosher food, you're, there's no chiv misa on that in, in my Torah. So that doesn't make much sense. But then, Rabbi Shimon didn't have a problem with that for some reason. He didn't turn around and say, well, no, that doesn't sound like it's uh, relevant. He didn't say that. He's like, oh, that's a really good point. But you know who that, who that applied to? That applied to all of the Jews in Shushan. How many Jews were in Shushan? I mean, I would think many Jews probably were in Shushan because Shushan, as we'll see soon, is, was an international city. So you probably, it's like New York City, you have a bunch of Jews there, but that's not all the Jews, right? Like, let's say that's 20% of the Jews. What about the other 80%, 60%, whatever it is, large, large numbers of Jews that are spread around the other 127 nations? How come those guys had to die? They didn't go to Akashverosh's party. Nobody hopped on the G6 and flew to Susa so that they can hit up the party. And they scratch their heads and they're like, okay, Rebbe, maybe you tell us. And he goes, I'll tell you why. Because Shishtachavu Litzelen, they bowed down to the graven image of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, I'll give you a hint. Nebuchadnezzar, at the time that the Purim story is starting, has already decomposed. In fact, his son, Evel Merodak, has decomposed. His grandson, Balshazar has decomposed. His only living descendant at the time of the Megillah is a lady named Vashti. She is the only living descendant of Nebuchadnezzar. So you're telling me that the Jews at the time of Mordechai, Archai of Misa, they should die. Why should they die? Because their great-grandparents bowed down to Etzelim of Nebuchadnezzar in Babylonia, where, by the way, they don't exist anymore. And the students accepted that. I don't know, that's a little bit of a head-scratcher to me. But in any event, with those questions in the back of our mind, let's learn the Megillah. Granted, we're not going to have time to go through the whole thing, but I, I would like to get at least through the basic story that everybody knows. Let's see if we can hit that up and, you know, if we get more than greatest icing on the cake. So, to give you an idea of how difficult it is to read this book, let's just read a few sentences, and then I'll stop doing this, because that would be tedious. Like, Vayihi bimei 
It was in the time of Achashverosh. Who Achashverosh Hamolech Mehodu Biakush Sheva Vesrim Meyam Medina. That's the Achashverosh that was the king from Hodu to Kush, 127 nations. Okay, you understand that 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 sentence is like incoherent, right? It was in the days of Achashverosh. You know the Achashverosh who was the king over. I mean, I wouldn't have said that. I would have said it was in the time of Achashverosh who reigned from Hodu to Kush. You wouldn't say it was in the days of Achashverosh. That Achashverosh who reigned from Hodu. How many Achashveroshes do you know? Exactly. Okay. By Amimahem in those days. When King Ahasuerus was sitting on his throne, which was in Shushan, I love that. By Amim Haheim, in those days. Well, obviously, it's in those days, right? Ahasuerus, you can't say, by he be me Ahasuerus, it wasn't the days of Ahasuerus, and then say, in those days. Well, obviously, it was those days because he only lived in the days that he lived. In fact, that's true for everybody. No one has ever lived in the days other than when they have lived. So you didn't need to say it, it was in those days. Okay, that's also the Department of Redundancy Department. When he was sitting on his throne, which was in Shushan, thank you for telling me that because I thought it was in Chicago, but I appreciate the heads up. In the third year of his reign, he makes a party. And this is how all the hilarity ensues because in the third year, he makes a party. By the way, what kind of a king makes a party in the third year? When does a king make a party? When he's coronated. <laughs> make the party when you're coronated. So why would you make it in the third year? So the government's like, oh, I'll tell you why he makes it in the third year. He makes it in the third year because he thinks the Jews aren't going back. All right, we're not going to deal with this. That's a, it's a different schmooze for a different day, but again, you can hum even the oven on that one. So he makes this party. And what do you think is going to happen at this party? Everyone's invited. And I mean, everyone. Everyone. It gets so overwhelming that the Gemara says they had to keep opening up new rooms because they thought 50,000 people from Shushan would come. No, 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 no. They kept pouring in. They kept pouring in. So, let's take a little look at these psuki and see a political reality that we're a little bit familiar with, actually. It's very fascinating. Ahashverosh, the Gemara points out, Hamolech mehodu biad kush, who is reigning from hodu to kush. You shouldn't say Hamolech, you should say Asher Malach, he did reign. Why are you saying Hamolech, he is reigning in the present sense, in the present tense? The Gemara explains, because he never felt secure in his reign. He was always actively seeking to reign. This is a guy who has major issues major issues, and they're going to come up again and again in the Megillah. He does not feel confident with his Malchut. Well, why wouldn't he feel confident with his Malchut? By what right? By what right does he reign? Simple, the right of his wife. Because his wife, as we said, is the last remaining heir to the dynasty, the greatest dynasty at the time, that of Babylonia, Nebuchadnezzar. But, but Babylonia had been conquered by Persia and Media. And they moved kind of to a different, a different worldview under Kurash, under Cyrus, the first of the Achaemenid Persian kings. That's true. Well, now we understand why they moved the center of government. It used to be in Bavel. They moved it to Shushan. They were completely disengaging from everything that had happened before, from all of the Babylonian mumbo-jumbo that had been reigning over the world for hundreds of years, since the time of the Assyrians. That's how long the Babylonians had been in charge. Okay. 
fine, that's good. So he moves the capital to Shushan, and he makes a big party, and he invites everybody. Why is he inviting everybody? Well, he's inviting everybody because they're moving to a different form of government now. Up until now, up until now, there was one major nation, and that was Babylonia. If you were from Babel, you mattered. If you were from the royal dynasty of Babel, then oh, you really, really mattered. If you were from other places, you mattered less. You're what we call second-tier countries. I'm not going to tell you what the president calls those countries, but you get the point. Those countries don't really matter. Only Babylonia matters. We're not going to have that anymore. We're going to invite all of the satraps and all of the princes and all of the officers and all of the officials from 127 nations. They're all invited. And in fact, they're all equal. When they're here, under my roof, they're equal. They're equal. There is no better, there is no worse. There is no primary, there is no secondary. That's a good way to reign. That's a good way to reign. So Ahasuerus and Vashti have a different idea about monarchy than her ancestors did. By the way, we know this is true historically because the Persian monarchs were very, very different than the Assyrians and then the Babylonians. They allowed people to have freedom of religion. Like, hey man, you do your thing. We're not gonna come there and trample on you. As long as you pay your taxes, you pay your taxes to the king and Darius is happy. Darius is happy. Just keep the money flowing. No problem. So they came up with this idea. It was a great idea. And Vashti has the same designs in her mind as her husband Akashverosh has in his. The Gemara says, he with the pumpkins and she with the zucchinis. Meaning, he wants the same type of promiscuous and Vegas, basically, party, as her husband does. They each have the same idea in mind in this party. Well, what happens in the party? In the party, the king gets drunk. He calls for the queen. He calls for the queen to come out in her royal crown. Beketer Malchut. But that's it, right? Only Beketer Malchut. Have her come out in her royal crown. Why? To show everybody in the world that my wife is the most beautiful in the world. And Queen Vashti, she refuses. She doesn't want to come. And the king is very angry. And his anger spilling over his furious rage. But I don't understand. Didn't you tell me that she had every intention of doing exactly the same sort of morally decrepit things that he did? The Talmud says openly that he and she, the Shnei, the Dover, Echad, Niskavlu, they both had in mind the same thing, which means she had every intention of going to the men's side in precisely the state that he wanted her to. So how can you tell me that all of a sudden she got upset and she was like, no, I'm not going to show up. So you have Midrashim. The Midrashim, oh, she grew a tail. And that could be a little bit, you know, um, disconcerting. When you're going to do a dance, it gets in the way. So maybe that's why she didn't go. Or because she got sarad. She suddenly developed leprosy. Um, it's, it's difficult to understand what the Gemara means by that. Because if she would have said, if she would have said to the courtier that summoned her, um, tell the king that he really doesn't want me showing off right now because I just had a breakout of leprosy. Would he have been upset about it? He would have been like, oh yeah, guys, no, no, you want to wait, trust me. You give it 48 hours and we'll come back, there's been a flare-up. Call Dr. Oz. But that's not what he does. And that's not what she does. And the question is why? I'll tell you why. 
Makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense. She had every intention, like the Umara said, of showing up anyway. But you know what happened? He called her. He summoned her. The king said to the Sarisim, Lehavi et Vashti Hamalka, to bring Vashti the queen. Which means she was going to show up at 4.30. And she's sitting there in her party with all her gals. And all of a sudden, in they walk, and they say, By order of the king, you are to appear, dot, dot, dot. And she goes, What? Vatima'ain Hamalka Vashti. She refused. She didn't say, my stomach isn't well. She didn't say, let's talk about it later. She didn't say I had a breakout. She said, heck no. Heck no. I refuse. <laughs> you see the problem, don't you? You see the problem. The queen refused the king. What does that mean? means you're not co-monarchs, are you? I know you'd like to usher in this whole era of, of equity and populism, but if you refuse, then what you're saying is, I am the monarch and you are the consort. You are not the king, you are the consort. I once got in trouble in, uh, in Windsor Castle. I can't help myself sometimes. I'm in Windsor Castle and I'm talking to the, the tour guide over there and, and I said to him, who's higher, queen or king? I like to play with people, it's a, it's a chemical thing. And he goes, he's like, they're equal, it's just the monarch. I said, no, you're lying. He said, why do you say I'm lying? Okay, because when Prince William becomes king, what will Kate Middleton be? Queen, right? Ah. But the monarch right now is Elizabeth II Regina. What's her husband? Oh, he's the prince consort. You know what he's not? He's not the king, because king outranks queen. Everybody knows that. Everybody who has a deck of cards knows that king outranks queen, and that's why if the monarch is the queen, you don't call her husband the king. But that's just a fun aside that you can use when you want to mess with the British. The point is, when Vashti says to Achashverosh, heck no, I'm not coming, what she's saying to him is, I'm the monarch and you are nobody. You're a soldier. <laughs> now we have a problem. Vashti's refusal to show up to Akashverosh is not an insult, and it's not that he's embarrassed because he told all his homies that they're about to have a show, and now there's disappointment. That's not the problem. The problem is she has, in an instant, emasculated him. She has removed all of his position and, and made him, essentially painted him, into a ceremonial role. Now, you're going to notice a word. It's a very important word. Chema. Fury. Fury. He is furious when this happens. And now he doesn't know what to do. What am I going to do? What's a king to do? So, <laughs> the king turns to his lawyers and says, what am I going to do? What am I supposed to do with Hamalka Vashti? As the Gra points out, it's Hamalka Vashti versus Vashti Hamalka. We can talk about that later if you'd like. So why is he going to his lawyers? It's strange. If you read very carefully, very carefully, you'll see he's not only going to his lawyers at all. This is not a good, like, 
clipper. We need a better clipper. That's okay. Um, it says he went lachachamim yod'ei ha'itim. The wise men, yod'ei, the knowers of itim, times. The knowers of the times. You know who he went to? Pollsters. He went to pollsters. He went to the people who understand the times. You have a question? What's your question? My question is, if it's in the third year yes. that this king's done, yes. haven't they straightened out this issue before? No. It was never an issue until right now. They didn't have an issue. You don't have an issue until the issue pops up. Everything was hunky-dory, and they reigned perfectly well together until all of a sudden it became you versus me, and now who wins? And the truth is, on the law side, she wins! Because she's got the better claim. She has the claim of blood, whereas he does not. He doesn't have that. So, he goes, to the people who know the times. These are important words, learn them well. Because this is the way of the king before people who know das and din. Das and din. What's the difference between das and din? Din means law. We're in a beit din right now. Here we sit in a beit din. It is a house of law, literally. It tells you what the law is. That's not what das is. Das, in modern Hebrew, dat, means religion. The word das means culture. Culture, religion, your religion really is your culture when you look at it from a values perspective. So you can use them synonymously. So the king has two different issues that he has to balance. He has to balance the law, and he has to balance the feeling of the culture, the people at the time. How will they react to this? And therefore, he takes his question not just to Alan Dershowitz. He takes it to Dershowitz, and he takes it to, I don't know, gosh, I don't watch the news. Who's in charge of post- Jimmy Kimmel. He goes to Jimmy Kimmel and says, what do people want to happen? Das Vadin. and he's got these seven guys, Karshna Shesar, Masasar, Shesmeris, Marsana, and Mimukhan. And he says, Kedas Mala Asod Bamal Kavashti. What can I do? Now, these people, these advisors, they know they can't say anything to him because they're in deep trouble. If you say to him, Yeah, you know, like, just let it go, you're really drunk, you'll be fine tomorrow morning, he'll kill you now on the spot. And if you say to him, You should kill her, yeah, that's fine and dandy, but then tomorrow when he wakes up sober, he's gonna blame you for killing his beloved gorgeous wife, so that's no good. So, one guy, he jumps right up in the front. And who's that guy? Haman. Haman jumps up in the front. He was the seventh, which means the smallest of all these advisors, and he jumps up first. And he says, You know, Vashti, the queen, didn't only besmirch you. Don't you understand that what this woman has done right now is going to break the fabric of society? Why? Because you know what she's really saying to your majesty? You know what she's really saying? She's saying that she's the monarch because she's Babylonian and Babylonian is better than Persian. And Persian's better than Median, and Median's better than Aramian, and Aramian's better than Amorian. And Amorian, you get the point? Don't you understand you're going to have women at home throwing their husbands under the bus and saying, I'm from a higher level on the totem pole than you? I come from a better family than you? Oh. You mean it's not just about me and my ego? You mean this... 
You mean I can kill the queen and I'll be doing who a favor? Everyone? You mean to tell me that I have to take one for the team and kill the queen? You mean to tell me that Haman is giving me the perfect get out of jail free card? That's exactly what I mean. That is precisely what Haman does. Haman says, don't you understand when word of this gets out, all of the women are going to start insulting their husbands? You're going to break society. And therefore, and therefore, it's so funny what he says is, Uchidai bizayon vakatsev. Which is translated, I think, by most people as, and it's a lot of anger and, and embarrassment. But that's not really what the word kedai means. Kedai means it's appropriate. He's saying it's appropriate to have anger and embarrassment. He's justifying the king's anger. You're giving the king a reason that he can kill her. It's brilliant. And therefore, if you like my idea, it should be written, it should be written in the cultures of Paras and Madai, that Vashti wouldn't come. Why cultures and not laws? Because there is no law that said that she had to come. What she did was perfectly legal. Perfectly legal. Which means that in the very first section of the Megillah, you have the first pivot from law to culture. And that is a very insidious thing. Very, very insidious thing. It has no limits, does it? Write it in the Dase Paras. And what are you going to write? That Vashti wouldn't come before the king. Her queenship will be given to her friend, to her friend who's better than she. We'll find someone who's worthier. But those words, those words, they echo, they echo, they echo in time. Because if you are familiar with Shmuel Aleph, the first king of the Jews, oftentimes people say it's David. That's not true. He was the second. The first king of the Jews was Shaul. And Shaul is a very famous ancestor of a girl named Esther. And Shaul had a job to do. And his job was go kill Amalek. And he almost did. But like almost doesn't count except in horseshoes and atomic bombs. And therefore he is in trouble. And the prophet Shmuel comes to him and says, God has torn away your monarchy. And he is going to give it to whom? This is the, I couldn't find the knock here so I put it in my safari. And Shmuel says to him, God has ripped from you the monarchy of Israel this day, unesana, and he will give it the reacha hatov mimeka. He will give it to your friend who's better than you. It's exactly the same words. And now King Ahasuerus is going to give Vashti's crown leruta hatova mimena to her friend who's greater than she, which of course is Esther, who's the great 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 granddaughter of Shaul, who lost it with those self same words. But I digress, and we're getting ahead of ourselves. So great, they do it, and what do they do? They publish. They publish letters that go out to 127 Medinot nations. And the, the Megillah, man, it stresses this like time and time again. Each one, the Cholam Ba'am Kilshono, it has to be in the language of the place, and it has to be in the language of the province. And what does it say in these letters? That the man of the house is the king of the house, and they must speak in his language. Why? Because ostensibly, you know what this is really about? We killed Vashti because she was an elitist bigot. We killed Vashti because she was a racist. 
Because she thought the Babylonians were better than everybody else. And that's why she looked down upon the king. And she looks down on all of you. But we understand that everybody's equal. Just like in our party, it's the party of the proletariat. Everyone gets to do what they want. In fact, it's said in the party, the drinking, meaning the partying, it's the same word. It's like your philosophy. We don't force you. Meaning what? If you're a Mormon and you don't drink, no problem, you don't have to drink. If you're a Baptist and you don't drink in front of other Baptists, no problem, put you in the Episcopalian section. Right? We're going we're gonna to do, we're going to do for you whatever is good for you. Because that's what we're about. We're about equality. Equality. And Vashti's not about equality. So we'll kill her. Lovely. And they do. Okay. Now, after this, the king starts pondering, what am I going to do today? I don't have Vashti anymore. Listen to what his boys come up with. Nare Hamela. The lads of the king. Of course they're going to come up with this, right? I mean, what did you just say? You just determined, you just determined that the males are the dominant force in the house. Which house? Every house. Every house. There are no individuals to, to, to be reckoned with. It doesn't matter what's in your house or in your house or in my house or in her house. Every house the man is the king because male is better than female. Well, the second you do that, I mean, you know where this is going, right? Because every single society that does something like that is inevitably going to descend into rape. Because why wouldn't you? It's on the table. <laughs> That's exactly where it goes. And it goes there just like this. And what do they say to him? They say, well, you know what you should do? Your majesty, I have a great idea. How about you hold the beauty contest? How big? Oh, I'm glad you asked. The whole country. One country? No. 127 countries. And take the most beautiful women from all the countries, and where are you going to bring them? Boom, right here to Susa. Why do you think the king's lads came up with this? But you're saying you have 127 countries. If you take the top 1,000 beautiful women from all of those countries, that's more women than the king can handle. But they're here. Do you see how gross and on how many levels the grossness is? It's not just Akashverosh was a pig. His little guys over there, they're just this piggy. They're like, oink, oink, this is great for me. I know the king is going to say yes because he gets to be Mr. America. And for us, we get all the spillover. 90% of that is just going to come right at us. So the Nare Hamelech was great. And the king is like, great idea, great idea, let's do that. And he appoints officials. Like, it's very official. <laughs> it's like unbelievable. Unbelievable. They put them there. And the thought was that the one who's better, she's going to be the queen instead of Vashti. That's what you're thinking is going to happen. Of course it's not going to happen like that. How's it actually going to happen? The king's going to realize, why should I ever choose anybody? Of course that's going to happen. I mean, but nobody's thinking of that. Fine. Okay, that's the end of, the, uh, that's the end of that story. Now we're going to get introduced to Mordechai. Understand this. Understand this well. Understand it deeply. It's not only a Megillah thing. It's always. When the Torah introduces you to people and tells you their name, their name is not their name. Their name is the description of who they are. Their name is existential. Their name is essential. There was a man, a Yehudi in Shushan Abira, and his name is Mordechai ben Yair ben Shimi ben Kish Ish Yemini. 
It's telling you what you need to know about Mordechai before you meet him. Because we want you to appreciate who this guy is. Let me tell you who he is. He's a man, first of all. When the Torah says man, it doesn't mean it's not an XY thing. It's a how you act thing. He's a man. Ben Yair. He lit up the eyes of the Jews. He lit up their eyes. You're talking about a guy who educated a nation. That's who you're dealing with. Ben Shim'i. You're talking about a guy who God listened to. God answered his prayer. That's the type of guy you're talking to. Ben Kish. You're talking about a guy who was pounding on the doors of heaven, unwilling to give up for his people. This is how it's introducing him, so you'll understand who he is. He's not just some guy with a beard. This is who he is. And what's his history? Oh, Asher Hadlami Rishalayim. He came out of Auschwitz. He came out of Auschwitz. He was there in the destruction of the temple. He saw it. He was exiled. So this is Mordechai. This is who he is. That's how the Megillah chooses to introduce him to you. And he's raising Esther. He's raising Hadassah. She is Esther, his cousin, because she doesn't have a father or a mother. It's great. He's raising Hadassah. She is Esther. Huh? That's weird, right? I mean, it's so weird. But it's not, because obviously the word Esther means hidden. That's what the word means. right? The word literally means hidden. This is why we dress up on porn. So things are not what they seem. So he's raising Hadassah. She is hidden. She is hidden. You ever wonder? This, this question used to drive me crazy. This mom used to drive me crazy because I grew up the same way you grew up. We went to all the Jewish classes and they tell you, Esther never told anyone that she was Jewish. Nobody knew she was Jewish. You're like, wasn't she raised by Mordechai? I mean, even if you've never seen Mordechai, like his name is Mordechai. I've never met a non-Jew named Mordechai. And he's super Jew. I mean, he's in the palace. He's Mr. Official. He's one of the people in the palace. Like, he's clearly Jew. How could it be that nobody knew she was Jewish? I mean, this sounds like really, really silly. You understand the question, right? Like, it just it boggles the mind how, how no one could figure out that she was Jewish. So you have to say, well, all the Jews kept the secret and no one else ever saw her in shul. <laughs> like, you got to say some silly thing like that. But of course, that's not true because the Gemara, again, you know, the Gemara says things. The Gemara says things and you think it's just like some kind of like a little innocuous, no, 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 it's a thing you need to know this. It says her father died when she was conceived and her mother died at childbirth. Okay, well, what does that tell you? She was the baby at the fire station. She was literally dropped at a fire station. Her father died at conception. Her mother died at childbirth. There was no one to take her. Why did no one know what she was? Because she was an orphan girl in a dumpster. So everyone knew she was raised in the house of Mordechai. Of course she was raised in the house of Mordechai. Mordechai's an amazing guy. He lives in an international city of Susa. And he took a, a child that had no parents as a ward. So of course everyone knows that she grew up in the house of Mordechai. But no one knows who she is. Yeah. Even if you say that, that oh, they didn't know if she was Jewish or not. She's obviously going to identify with the Jews. If Mordechai was obviously Jewish, took her in and raised her. Oh, but why is that true? Why is that true? What if you are, what if you are an official and a really, really good person and someone in your district 
needed help in becoming to your household. Much like Moshe was taken in by a daughter of Hara. But he wasn't raised Jewish. He was raised how he was raised. I didn't send you to the house, we're do something nice for you. So everyone knew. I'll tell you how you know this also. It says later on at the end of the Megillah that Esther tells Ahasuerus about Mordechai Mahula, what, she, what he is to her. What do you mean, what he is to her? You mean that you grew up? Meaning, I knew that you grew up in his house, but I didn't know you were cousins or married. Because I didn't know what you were. So no one knows where she is from. Now this is, so again, what you're saying makes a lot of sense also in our idea today, because people make decisions about how they want to live and what culture they want to go to, and you have a lot of, you know, you have people converting and you have people emigrating. Back then, this is what you are. This is you. You're an Emirate. You're a Hivite. You're a Girgashite. This is your identity. Well, this is going to make another statement of the Gemara just go click. Because the Gemara says, Whoever saw Esther just fell in love with her. You know what the Gemara says? The Gemara says, Everybody thought that she was from their nation. Everybody thought that. So the Gemara says, Well, why would that be? I mean, she was black and white and red and purple. She was all of those things, or she was green. <laughs> it's like, what does that mean? I'll tell you what I think it means. Simple. If you ask a person to describe their culture, they're not going to tell you the bad things about their culture. They're going to talk about the things that they find glorious and magnificent about their culture. Everyone who looked at Esther saw in her the best parts of their culture. That's the point. This gal was amazing. So everyone saw her and said, oh, she's so outgoing. She brings in guests all the time. She's great at riding horses. She's Arabian. And another one's like, oh, she's such an amazing cook. And her diction is perfect. She's French. And everyone saw her like this. Everyone saw what they were looking for in Esther. So she gets taken. She gets taken to the king. She does not want to be there. She does not want to be there. This is one gigantic rape fest. This is not, it's not, no one got taken to Ahasuerus being, yay, 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 I'm going to be the queen. In fact, if you read, remember the whole point ostensibly was because you'll find someone better and you'll make her the queen instead of Vashti. But what does it say? It says, And it was when it was each one's turn to come to Ahasuerus, you know what he would do? She would go, she would get a turn, and then she would go home. And the king would not call her unless the king wanted and specifically asked for her. One second, I'm very, very confused. If the king already had a tryout and decided that this person is not going to be the queen, why would he ever call her again? It's <laughs> not a question, right? It's not a question. The king has no intention of choosing a queen. The king is having a lot of fun. Well, well, when it's Esther's turn, she doesn't ask for anything. It's beautiful. It says every single girl got to ask for whatever they wanted. Because you get a fair shot. You get a fair shot. Whatever you want, you can bring with you. Esther doesn't ask for anything. You know what she does ask for? This is just, it's a, it's a side point, but I think it's really, really cool. It says, Lobik Shadavar, she didn't ask anything. Except for whatever Hegai, the head, the head eunuch, would tell her. So again, the conventional wisdom there is that Hegai would tell her, oh, the king likes this, you know, take this, take that. That's not what it's saying. It's that she never asked for anything except information. She never asked for anything except what Hegai would say to her. 
Listen to the words. It says, it says, Lobik Shadavar, she didn't ask for a thing. Kiim only, Esashir Yomar, hey guys, whatever, hey guy, the eunuch would say. That she wanted, information she was interested in. So she goes to Akashverosh and he falls head over heels in love with her. Why does he fall in love with her? Well, that's simple, isn't it? Because she's the only one that isn't interested in him. She's the only one that wants to get the heck out of there. So he falls madly in love with her. Madly, madly in love with her. He's like, wow! Boom! This is my new queen. Fine. Great. Let's move to Haman because time is short. King elevates Haman. Everyone has to bow to him. Ever wonder about that? Why? Like, just why? What? What? Why? I'm not saying why would Haman want it. Haman's an egomaniac. We know he's an egomaniac. Why would the king do that? Why do you only bow to the king? Because only the king is the king. Everybody else is some other position beneath king. You don't bow to other positions. You only bow to the king. Why would you want people to bow to Haman? What role is Haman playing? What do you want from Haman? Well, you know what Haman is wicked good at? Wicked good. Dust. He's wicked good at dust. He's unbelievable when it comes to defining the culture. To telling people what they should and shouldn't want and what they should and shouldn't do. Not what's legal. He's not the legal guy. He's the culture guy. Well, well, I think in a community, in a nation such as ours, where there are so many different peoples and so many different cultures, it stands to reason that we should have one thing that unifies us. Almost the Kohen Gadol, if you will. A religious type of fellow. Haman. And you should give a lot of respect to that because we're all equal here because that's what we're all about. So you got to bow to him. Now listen to this back and forth. So everybody's bowing down to Haman ba, 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 except one guy. One guy! Mordechai, lo yichrav, lo He won't bow. So his friends, these are his friends, you understand. These are the cabinet members. Mordechai is a member of the king's cabinet. His friends come over to him and they say, Why are you, why are you going against what the king said? The king said, and you're not doing it. What does he answer? Nothing. And it was day after day that they're telling him this and he's not listening to them. And they told Haman to see if Mordechai's words would stand because he told them that he was a Jew. Okay, first of all, the sentence is coherent. And second of all, you knew that he was a Jew, right? Because again, like we said, big yarmulke, big beard, furry hat, eyes. You knew he was a Jew. So what do you mean he told you he was a Jew? Second of all, you're his friend. Why are you throwing him under the bus like that? Really? You're going to go to Haman now, the Rose Hayam Dudibre Mordechai, to see, to see what's going to happen to Mordechai? It sounds like you're dealing with a bunch of anti-Semites, and the second they find out that Mordechai's Jewish, now they go and they tell Big Bad Haman so that they're going to put Mordechai in the hot seat. That's what it sounds like. But again, like we said before, it's, it's very silly because they always knew he was Jewish, and if that was the issue, they would have done that on the first day anyway. So what's going on here? And why doesn't Haman just kill Mordechai? So they talked to Haman about it. And Haman sees that Mordechai won't bow to him. 
And Haman gets furious. It's that same word, chema. The same word that King Ahasuerus had when Vashti dissed him. Perhaps we're going to see that it's exactly the same diss. Listen to this. It was low, it was lesser than him just to kill Mordechai because they told him the nation of Mordechai. And Haman wanted to kill all the Jews in all the nation of Ahasuerus, in all of the kingdom of Ahasuerus, the nation of Mordechai. The nation of Mordechai. That's, that's not how you write. And Haman wanted to kill all the Jews in all the kingdoms of Ahasuerus, the nation of Mordechai. That's not how you talk. You know what's going on here? It is crazy. This is crazy. I'll tell you exactly what's going on here. King says, Haman is my new minister of culture. He represents, he represents the unity of all of our 127 nations. The dust of our 127 nations. You must bow to him. Mordecai says, I won't bow. And they say, why aren't you bowing? He says, what do you mean? I can't. He says, I'm a Jew. I'm not allowed. It's not that I don't want to. I'd love to. I would love to bow to Haman. But I can't. And they said, but, but you're going against the edict of the king. He says, no, I'm not. What are you talking about? The king already said, front and center in the original party, if something is against my beliefs, I don't have to do it. I don't have to bow him. You do. I don't. And they're like, oh, that's interesting. Okay. I wonder if that's true. What, what's the law about this? So they go to Haman to tell him to see if Mordechai's words will stand. Why? I'm not sure who you would be. Because he told them that he was a Jew. They knew he was a Jew. Yes, I know they knew he was a Jew. He's saying that the reason that he can't bow is because he's a Jew, and therefore he shouldn't have to. And they're like, let's see if that's actually the law. And they go to Haman, and now, Haman... Now he's furious. Why? Because Mordechai just pulled the whole plug on him too, didn't he? He just said, you're very important, Haman. You are so important. Everyone has to bow to you unless they're not supposed to. Okay, so what am I really? I'm a very elegant puppet. You're really not putting me over everyone. You're totally unplugging my position. So how does Haman react? Chema. Same as Ahasuerus when you take away his crown. Now you're taking away Haman's crown. So he has Chema. So, Ba'iv is Be'inav. I'm not going to kill Mordechai. Why not? Because they told him the nation of Mordechai. He has a nation of Mordechai's. If 99% of the world bows down to me, and 1% doesn't have to, then the 99% don't have to either. It just happens to be that it's not against their beliefs. If they would alter their beliefs a little bit, they wouldn't have to either. I am a glorified sideshow. I gotta kill all the Jews. I gotta kill them all. Killing Mordechai's not gonna help me. 
There will be one guy who's not, who, one fewer guy who won't bow to me. Every time I go into the street or I go to the Shukamakana Yehuda to buy some Ruggalak and Marzipan, there's going to be a whole bunch of Senator girls that aren't going to bow to me either. And there's nothing I can do about it because remember, if there's one thing we know about the Achaemenid Persian Empire, we follow the law of the land when it suits us and when it's a culture. Hmm. Okay. So what does he do? It's great. It's great. What did he do? He turns on Twitter and he reads Ilan Omar's feet. And he says, and he says to the king, because you know, there's this nation. There's this nation. And they're spread out everywhere. Now listen to the words. Their culture is different than everybody. Isn't everybody's culture different than everybody? Isn't everybody's culture different than everybody? <laughs> yes, yes. On the aggregate it is, but you have something in common with everybody else. Every element of your culture, there are another 14 cultures that have that element. They just don't have all of the elements. So you'd be looking at basically one collage of concentric circles of what would be included and what would not. But there's one nation that their culture is nothing like anyone's culture. They're like, they're like a sore in the middle of the hole. And your culture, your majesty? They don't do. They don't do your culture. Because your culture conflicts with theirs. Everybody else can do your culture and their culture. But they can't. It's really, you know, not... It's not worth it to keep them around. They have dual loyalty. It's all about the Benjamins. So I will pay you 10,000 talents of silver. So you might think, this is so sophisticated, I'm telling you, Haman is a genius. Guy's a genius. He doesn't just say, I'm going to give 10,000 talents of silver to you. Why not? Because tell me, what would happen to the economy you killed all the Jews in a day. How would that affect your economy? Not well. You'd have problems. How many employees are now without an employer or a business? The answer is many. Listen to his words. 10,000 talents of silver. Eshkol I will give. Al yidei osei hamalacha. I'll give them through the workers. Meaning, I will match the tax revenue through the economy. I will ensure that all of those people are employed to bring you the same amount of tax revenue. Right. What does the king say? The king takes off his ring. By the way, has he, has he named the nation? Has he said who they are? No. Come on, you're my culture minister. If you're telling me that I have, that it's your role to bring together 127 different nations, and you're telling me that there's one of them which stands in the way of the unity of the whole, keep the money, do whatever you want. That's why you're my minister. That's why I have you here. No problem. No problem. So he hands it to her. So what do they do? They immediately send out not one letter, but two. Two letters. And this is pivotal. Why two letters? One letter is open, and it says, be ready for this day. Everyone has to be ready. 
What's be ready mean? It means have your food, have your weapons, have your friends, be ready for instructions. There's another envelope that says don't open until that day. And you know what it says in that envelope? Kill every single Jew, man, woman, and child and take their money. Well, why doesn't he just send the first letter that says kill every Jew on this day and take all their money? Like, isn't that easier? No, it's much harder. It's much harder because then you have a debate. Then you have a debate. There are people that, what, what is this? What do you mean kill all the Jews and take all their money? You can't do that. You're going to have a debate. Haman doesn't want a debate. You can lose a debate. You know what you can't lose? A pogrom. You can't lose a pogrom. Only Jews lose pogroms. Everyone else is a winner. So what does he do? He sets up 10,000 concentric, not concentric, um, simultaneous pogroms. They're all, as it were, off the cuff. We open it up. Wow, kill all the Jews, really? Okay, let's do it. And then in one day, you will have wiped out the entire nation. I mean, it's like, it's crazy what he came up with. So P.S., what happens to the rest of the town? Navoha, they're confused. Because they see post forces going out in every direction, and they're like, what's going on? It's a closed letter? Why? Everyone's mystified. There's one guy who's not mystified. One guy. Mordechai. Mordechai's not mystified. So what does he do? He puts on sackcloth, and he goes to the gate of the king. Why? Says he walks out into the middle of the city, and he screams. Why? I'll tell you why. Because no one knew any information at all. Everyone was business as usual. Yeah, I saw, okay, there's a person in the government that doesn't like Jews. That, that, is that new? It's not even news. That's not news. That shouldn't make the news. If pigs fly, it should make the news. Mordechai is walking around. This is an official of the king. He's the biggest rabbi on the planet Earth. And he's walking around wearing rags, screaming. Why is he doing it? To rub it in your face. That's why he's doing it. To freak everyone out. That's why he's doing it. And it works. Esther hears that this is happening. And she can't believe it. She's like, maybe, maybe Uncle Morty snapped. So she sends someone to talk to him. And he says, you gotta go to the king. You gotta go to the king. Jesus, I can't go to the king. I can't go to the king. Don't you know that anyone who goes to the king, Asher Lo Kados, anyone that goes to the king who is not called, it's not his culture, Achas Daso Lehamis, his culture is to kill. It's all dust. Dust, 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 dust. The culture is to kill. If I walk into that room, he will slice my head from my shoulders. And Mordechai says, Esther, this is why you're here. This whole thing makes no sense. To have you here and this situation happening at the same time? Obviously, this is why. So she says, okay, fine. On one condition. Gather all the Jews, all of them. It's impossible. It's impossible. Can't be done. Gather them, vitsumu alai, and fast for me, and don't eat for three days. Do you know when this was? You know when this was. When was it? 
Pesach. Pesach. That's when it happened. We celebrate Tainus Esther on the wrong day. Tainus Esther on Pesach. Can you imagine how shocking, regardless of how religious you are, regardless, Yom Kippur, that's a thing. That's a thing in the Jewish community. Pesach is a thing in the Jewish community. The whole spectrum. You're not allowed to eat. Forget wine. You're not allowed to eat matzah. I mean, that's... It's jarring. It's supposed to be jarring. It's almost as though you think you're about to die if you don't do this. Which you are. So she goes. Now listen to this. It's on the third day. Esther dons her monarchy and she stands across from the king ain't it beautiful ain't it beautiful you see where I'm going with this in the beginning of the story he says bring me the queen wearing a crown of monarchy and she goes and now what does Esther put on Malchut Esther puts on Malchut and walks to him and he opens his eyes, and there is the queen wearing monarchy coming to him. He loves that. He's never had that before. <laughs> he sees that. <laughs> He's like, wow, Esther, my queen. What would you like? What's your request? Tell half of the kingdom and I'll give it to you. But Tomer is there and she says, Well, you know, if, if you like me, you and Haman can come today to a party that I made for you. And the king says, Quick, Maharuat, Haman, get him quickly, get him quickly. Get him quickly. And they come to the party. Remember the first time, the first time when she comes to him, it's very important. The subtleties are important. The king says to her, What's your request? Until half the kingdom and I'll give it to you. Now they're sitting at the, at the meal. Now they're sitting at the meal and he turns to her and he says, uh, What's your question? And I'll give it to you. And what's your request? Until half the kingdom and it will be done. You know there's a difference between I'll give it to you and it will be done. Right? I'll give it to you is you want something. Here's something. That's not the same thing as it will be done. Because it will be done doesn't sound like I want a thing. It sounds like I want you to change something. To say us. It will be done. That's a much more, that's a much bigger ask. So if Esther comes and says, I saw this People magazine with Princess Di's sapphire ring and I want one. He's like, Esther, you can have four. One for each finger over here. And No, no, no. But what if she says, I want you to cancel all football games from Sunday. Then we're going to have a problem, right? That's, like a, that, that's not something that he can do comfortably. I hope. So there's now a difference. There's now a difference. The first time he said, what do you want? And I'll give it to you. The second time... He says, what do you want? And I'll give it to you. And what's your request? And I'll do it. 
Well, how does he know that there's a request? How does Achashverosh know that there's going to be a request? Simple. Right. <laughs> right? Like, if she came to him already, and he was blown away, right? He was like, oh my God, this is the most unbelievable moment of my life. A woman is wearing malchut and coming to me and making me feel like a king, and it's very, you know, making me feel validated. And then I said, what do you want? Well, guess what? If she wanted something, do you know what she would have asked for it? On the spot. If she would have said, you know, Roman Abramovich's yacht? I want that. He'd be like, yes. But she didn't. Well, why not? Because clearly she's not just going to ask me for something. She's going to make me change policy. No amount of you look really nice is going to make me on the spot change policy. And she knows that. So when she says, come to the party, now Hashverosh knows, okay, okay, there's an ask coming. There's an ask. All right. So he says, okay, what do you want? And she says, Sheila, see, Uwakasha, see. My question and my request, you're right, I have two. You're right. There are two things that I want from you. But I'm not ready. And listen, 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 this is good. If you like me enough to give me my she'ela and do my bakasha, it's the same thing. Okay. You come to the next party. And the king's like, yes, absolutely, I'll come to the next party. You can imagine at this point, the king is very curious. How curious? 117. He is very, very curious. Because his wife, his very mysterious wife, is coming with requests and he has no idea what's going on. This is a paranoid man. That night he can't sleep. Why do you think he can't sleep? Well, obviously, this is why he can't sleep, right? So Haman leaves. Haman leaves. Haman's feeling good. Haman is feeling so good. And then when Haman sees Mordechai sitting in the thing, below below zami menu, I mean, it's so good. He doesn't rise, he doesn't move. He doesn't move, why? Because he's rubbing Haman's face in it. Because Mordechai is that really annoying Jew that knows the law is on his side and he's gonna scream. And that's what he's doing. Exactly. I would like to know the score, please. So, so when Haman sees that Mordechai doesn't even move, how do you think Haman reacts? Vayimalei Haman al-Mordechai, chema! Again, chema! Because every time you lose your position because someone has shown you that you're not what you say, you get chema. That's the kind of anger you can expect. And now he can't deal. Because everything he has is worth nothing, as long as there's this Mordechai guy. Because everything he has is built on a lie, as long as there's one guy that doesn't have to bow to him. So he goes home. He goes home. And he says, look at all this awesome stuff that I have. But none of this is worth anything. Because he won't bow to me. So what does Zeresh say? Zeresh's wife, she's very smart. She goes, one second. I I get it, you've got a Jew problem, right? You have a legal problem. The legal problem is you cannot force Jews to bow down to you, and that's very unfortunate. We're going to take care of them in another four months. They're all going to be gone. But for right now, what's really your problem? Morty's your problem, because you see him every day. He's a high-ranking official. You're the king's best friend. You're the culture minister. You're the high priest. 
The queen is your best friend. She invites you to, the, to this party. The reason that Ahasuerus even found Esther, who he's head over heels in love with, is because of you. Just go and tell him to kill her. And Haman's like, yeah, that's a really good point. I'm going to go do that. Well, when would be a good time to do that? I don't know. How about now? It's 4 o'clock in the morning. Now's a good time. And he strolls off to the palace of the king. And meanwhile, the king can't sleep. Man, that Esther. Man, that Esther. He thought he was controlling her. It didn't quite work that way. What did Esther do? So this is, I mean, I've had this theory for a long time. I think it's a really, really cool theory. You know, the last, the last queen that crossed Haman, Esther knows this. Yeah. So how is she, how is she going to get rid of Haman? Simple, simple. So you have, you got the, the husband, best friend. And the wife doesn't like the, the best friend. So she says, you know, I don't like when you hang out with Timmy. He's a bad influence on you, and every time you come back smelling like, you know, cigars, and you, you reek of alcohol, and you're stumbling, and you always get red light tickets whenever you go out with Timmy, and I don't want you hanging out with Timmy anymore. Woman, do not tell me who my friends are. Doesn't work, yeah? Doesn't work. Everyone on this side knows it doesn't work. That doesn't work. So how do you get your husband to hate his best friend? Easy. You walk up to him. You say, Timmy made a pass at me. He, what? I'll kill him. <laughs> That's literally what she does. Literally what she does. Afterwards. And if you think about how she places it in his mind, I mean, she's so subtle. She's, oh, she's a very sneaky girl. She goes over, she goes over to Akashverish and she's like, something that I really need to talk to you about, but I'm not ready to say anything. How about tomorrow you'll come to the party, just you and me and your best friend? <laughs> you and me and who? <laughs> so King can't sleep. King can't sleep. So he's reading through the histories to see what's going on. And they come to the part where Mordecai saves the king. And he's like, what did we do for Mordecai? And like, we didn't do anything. And there's a knock at the door. And the king's like, who's that? And like, it's Haman. And the king's like, why is Haman in my house at 4 o'clock in the morning? <laughs> king not so happy with Haman right now. Haman, my good friend. My good, loyal friend. <laughs> My trustworthy friend. What should the king do to someone he wants to honor? And Haman's like, well, obviously. <laughs> of course he's talking about me. Because who else would the king want to honor? Of course the king wants to honor me. Here's what you're going to do, your majesty. You're going to take clothes that you wore and put them on him. And take a crown that you wore and put it on him. And then he's going to sit on your horse. And you're going to go around the city saying, Thus shall be done to the man that the king wants to honor. Hmm. I want to put myself into Akashverish's mind for one moment, yes? If you, save, you save Bill Gates' daughter. This is a man that's worth $80 billion. And he says, what can I do for you? You save my daughter. And you say, well, Bill, I'd really like to wear your pajamas. 
<laughs> you know, if I could wear your pajamas, and um, I'd like to, to sit in your car. I'd like to sit in your car and, and wear your hat. And, uh, you know, maybe somebody can walk in front of the car saying this is going to be done to the man that Bill wants to honor. I mean, like, why the heck would you ask for that? It's <laughs> a really, really silly thing to ask a king for, right? But no, what's the king hearing? What's the king hearing? Here's his best friend who he is convinced is having a relationship with his wife. That's what he's hearing. And you're like, I want to wear your clothes, and I want to sit on your horse, and I want to wear your hat. What else of mine do you want? Hmm. So why would Haman say that? Super simple. Super simple. Because what was the onset of this whole thing? What drove Haman crazy that made him want to show up at 4 o'clock in the morning anyway? The fact that Mordecai won't bow to him. Well, why doesn't Mordecai have to bow to him? Because it's against his religion. You can't put one religion on top of another religion. That's Ahasuerus' whole thing. Every religion, religious freedom. First Amendment. So what does Haman say? Haman says, let me, you know, go, uh, little state to go with the church would be nice. Let me show that I'm also an unofficial. I am a real secular official too. There's the power of the king behind me. I'm not only some, you know, glorified uh, priest. Well, they got the king behind me. That's not what the king is hearing. And the king's like, oh, okay. Go take the, the pajamas and do it to Mordechai and you're really, really weird and we'll talk later. <laughs> and, uh, and he does that. Sure enough, he, he does that. And he goes, that was a bad, that was a bad hour for Haman. That was really humiliating. And he gets home and he's schwitzy. And he just doesn't understand what is going on. He's like, I, I, I don't understand. How is this possible? That's, that's the language of the Megillah. It's Kolasher Karahu. He tells his wife, he's like, I gotta tell you what happened to me today because something is really, really out of the ordinary. Because I'm the second most important guy on the planet Earth and I just got a toilet dumped on my head and had to walk around with my bitter enemy on the king's horse and the only reason that happened is because I went to have him killed. I mean, this is very, very fishy. And she goes, Oh. Oh. Oh, I get it. Mordechai's the Jew boy. This is not an accident. You're dead. <laughs> so she tells him. I mean, this is mamish with Zeresh and Chol This is what they all say. They say, if Mordechai's Jewish and you're smacking them around and putting them in the ovens, then you'll be fine. You can throw them in ovens for a long time. But once you start going down and things start looking really weird, yeah, that means they pulled the joker. Sorry, you're dead. And just then, Knock at the door. Why? Quick. Guys, quick. We have a party in 30 minutes. You better not be late to Esther's party. It's the queen's party. It's not Miami time. You show up on time. And they take him to the party. What happens in the party? Oh. The king turns to Esther. On the second day. It says the same thing. What is your question? And I'll give it to you, unreservedly. And what is your request? Up until half, and I'll give it to you. He gives her more every single time. Every single time, he gives her more. Batan is there. 
And she says, okay, I want a gift and a request. Gift and a request. My gift? I got a great idea, your majesty. You want to give me a gift? You want to give me a request? How about, If I have found favor in your eyes, your grace, and if you think that it's a good idea, how about, How about you give me my life as a gift and my nation as a request? What? That was not what he was expecting at all. What are you, what are you talking about? It's because, you know, we, we've been sold to be destroyed, just slaughtered. And you know, if we were only sold as slaves, I wouldn't even bother you with it. I mean, this is not a reason to, to have a problem in the kingdom. I would just take it. King hears this. And he literally starts to stutter. He literally starts to stutter. And he said, and he said. The first thing he was stammering. Why was he stammering? Brilliant psychology. There's this, this is going to sound like a crazy aside, and it is, but I think it's powerful. There's a book, I made a movie out of it also, with Sean Connery, The Great Train Robbery. In The Great Train Robbery, they have this caboose, and in the caboose is all the gold that they want to rob. The problem is you can't get into the caboose. The only things that go in the caboose are the gold and dead bodies. So you got to fake a dead body. What's the big deal, right? You put a guy in a, in a coffin, slip him on the baggage train, and you're good. Yeah, but see, they're not stupid, are they? They're going to want to make sure that their gold is secure, which means that if you come with a dead body, they're going to stab it to make sure it's dead. Ah, so here's what they do. Fascinating, fascinating. They used to have a bell either inside the coffin or on top of the coffin because it would happen that sometimes someone would be pronounced dead when they were less than dead. And then they could be, God forbid, buried alive, which is not a good way to go. So they had a bell. So they have this, this young girl stand wearing all black in front of the train with a coffin. And she's crying, 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 crying over her dead brother. And everyone feels very bad. And, you know, she's kind of progressing in the line to the point where they're going to make sure that her brother is really dead. And all of a sudden, when it's her turn, the bell rings. coffin and there's dead guy. I mean, it was really a fluke. It was just the wind. And of course, she does a 180 and she's hysterical now because she thought that she had hope and everything was great and all of a sudden the hopes are dashed. We don't have to check this one, right? You see what she did? See, if you take people and you pull their psychology all the way this way and then all the way that way, they forget what they were thinking. It's very effective. Esther starts talking to Ahasuerus. She's got a real problem. He thinks it's a problem that affects him with his best friend. He's very angry, but he's not sure. And then what does she tell him? Not only have I been totally faithful to you, I wouldn't care if you sold my whole family as slaves. That's how much I think of you, your majesty. That's how much I love you. That's how much devotion I have to you. I'm only coming to you because someone wants to murder all of us. 
So you're telling me you were loyal to me the whole time? And someone who's not me wanted to kill you? Who? Who? I'll kill him. I will tear his head off and spit down his neck. And she goes, who? Him. Him. And the king hears this. Listen. He storms out in his chema, in his fury. But we've said that every time chema was used in the Megillah, it meant that you were being stripped of your role. How is he being stripped of his role? He just found out that his best friend Haman, who's been providing him with power all this time, has been using him as a puppet. Haman was never his friend. Ish tsarva oyev, Haman hara hazeh. He's been bad all along. Now he's got tremendous chema. He's got chema for 10 years ago. Maybe I should never have killed my first wife. You were the one who made me do that. And then you were the one who made me find a second wife and I really, really liked her. And then you were gonna kill her too. You've been playing me like a puppet the whole time. And then my favorite character, Harvona. Harvona. Why do I like Harvona? Because he's the perfect politician. He's a perfect politician. Remember, the king never does anything without consulting the polls. Never, right? It's gotta look good. It's gotta feel good to the people. They have to accept that you're doing what you're doing. You can't just kill the Pope. The king can't easily kill the Pope. So what does Carbona say? Carbona say? He goes um, hmm. Isn't that the 50 cubit tree that Haman has in his backyard? Wait, why does he have a 50-yard tree in his backyard again? Oh, right, I remember, because he wanted to kill Mordechai, your majesty. You remember Mordechai, don't you, your majesty? He's the one who saved your life. <laughs> this is beautiful. King's like, yeah, hang him on that. Hang him on that. Because now everyone will see, I'm not just killing the Pope. He was a traitor. He was a traitor. He put this big pole in his backyard so that he could hang someone who saved the life of the king. Why? Because he's been trying to undermine and usurp the king the whole time. Now everyone sees that. And they hang him right up there. And what happens? What are the last three words of the parish? Vachamas, Hamelach, Shachacha. And the king's fury went away. What fury? He's been furious for 10 years been furious for 10 years because for 10 years there's something eating at him that it's not real it's not real he's being played but he can't figure it out and now king is happy i want to do just one very very quick thing to wrap this up in a bow because i know it's late and i went much later than i thought i would i'm sorry about that i'm kidding i'm not sorry We said in the beginning that 
If you don't have any other books after Esther, it's because you don't need that. What that tells you is that all of the information that we require to exit our current situation is here. We don't require anything else. But we said, why, why did the Jews deserve to die? They didn't do anything. It's like, oh, well, you know, they, they went to the party of Achashverosh and they bowed years before to the idol of the Buchadnezzar. It, it, wasn't an, it wasn't an idol in the classical sense of like foreign god. It was a bust of the king. It was a unifying national idol. Just like here. The idea is simple. The Jews wanted to go to Achashverosh's party for the same reason he did it in the third year of his reign. He said, all the prophecies talking about the Jews returning to Israel and building their temple, it's over. And the Jews said to Mordechai, he's right, we can count to 70. Let's go to the party and be good Persians. God has divorced us. Let's be like everybody else. Which is, of course, why it says in the Navi, when, when did I divorce you? When did I say that you were done? I never said this is done. But the Jews felt like it was done. But it, it's hard to appreciate the... Oh, God. Disappointment's not the, the right word. It's so much deeper than that. They really believed that in 70 years on the clock, they were going to go home. They believed that. So when they walked off to Babylonia in chains, they knew in a generation and a half they're coming back. They knew that. The clock hits 70 and they're there. I mean, you can't, you can't imagine what that is. It's like we, we had a date to build the temple and now we're finished. So let's go to the party. Why did the Jews bow to the idol of Nebuchadnezzar in Babylonia? They said, we're, we're Babylonian. We're Babylonian. Mordecai's like, no, you can't. Don't you get this? Do you know why he's making a party? Yeah, he has kosher food. He's celebrating your death. That's why he's making the party. You're going to go and party at your own funeral. And they did. The idea is that they're repeating the exact same mistake. It's the same mistake. At no point does anyone accuse the Jews in the Megillah, even Haman, never accuses the Jews of not listening to the laws of the king. They do listen to the laws of the king. They do. In fact, we know Dina the Mahusa Dina. You have to. You have to follow the speed limit. I personally don't, but you have to follow the speed limit. I don't litter, so that, that's good, you know. And I recycle sometimes. But I do speed. We do the law. What do we not do? We don't do the dust. We don't do the dust. I'm not going to take my cues of what is appropriate or inappropriate from Haman. I won't. If they legislate a law that says that I have to do something, fine, no problem. No problem. But if your culture demands something, listen, you're, you could do your, do you do you, man. You do you. I'm very proud of my culture. I'm going to do what I do. What my misora is. The second the Jews start, and we have a word for this, right? We call it assimilation. When you do that, that's when Haman comes. 
And if you want to see why that is, it's super simple. Because God gives you two options. Two. He says, retain your identity or try to lose it. If you retain your identity on your own, great. If you try to lose your identity, they'll remind you. They will remind you that you're Jewish. And generally, the way that they remind you is with cattle cars. Have a happy Purim.